What is up with it, Panther Nation? This is your sports editor, Daniel. Please stop killing my bracket. It's already dead, Stackhouse. And I'm here for the first of few March Madness podcasts where we cover recover the games over the past weekend and look at the brackets and see what's up next. Today, this week, I am joined by a special guest, former editor-in-chief and a journalism student at the University of Missouri, Riley Stapleton. What's up, Riley? Oh. <laughs> uh, not much. It just it feels, feels good to be back doing stuff for Stars Mill. I miss it, man. Those days on the prowler were fun. Glad to have you here, man. Let's kind of get straight into this. Well, let's start with the round 64. It was a very interesting weekend on, for both rounds. But let's start with let's start with Florida versus Virginia Tech. It was kind of a very tight game, all th- all things considered. Florida was Florida was looking to pull away. Then Virginia Tech tra- started climbing in, got a buzzer beater to go into overtime and end up losing the game anyway. To me, that was kind of an upsetting one because that was like an upset. We were talking about it before the before we started recording. Is that that was an upset that you and I were pretty confident in, and it just didn't end up working out. Yeah, no, I mean, with college basketball, I just always feel more comfortable with ACC teams over SEC teams, and I just, I'd watched Virginia Tech a few times this year, they found themselves in the in the top 25 a little bit, and I just, I always feel confident in VT, they always just seem like a team that can get some tournament wins, so in pretty much, I made like 12 brackets in total and had Virginia Tech in like all of them, I, I was so for sure they are going to win that game, and it looked like they had it at the end, I thought hitting the three to force overtime, going into that with momentum was going to be good for them. But they, they couldn't close it out, which was very upsetting. And it was not a good start for my bracket to the tournament. And you kind of said, like, ACC teams are are one of the – those are the conferences, one one of the conferences people are going to be a lot more a lot more hopeful on, like ACC, sometimes Big East, and Big Ten. And don't worry, we'll get we'll get to them later. But it's kind of inter- it's kind of disappointing how that went down. The next game of the afternoon – the next game of Friday afternoon was Arkansas versus Colgate. And you watched a little bit of that, so why don't you tell us about it? Um – yeah, this was, uh, you know, I have uh, my own show that I do with some of my friends, and we talked about upset picks that uh, we felt confident in in one of our episodes ahead of the tournament, and I brought up, I was like, Colgate is going to beat Arkansas. I got Colgate, they're going to shock the world, and for a little bit they hung in there, and uh, they were up, I think, like 14 points, I don't remember how much exactly it was, they had a pretty good lead on Arkansas, and didn't score for like the last four minutes of the half, lost their entire lead, and Arkansas just ran away with it in the second half. They're a super athletic team. They're great at drawing charges. They're gritty. They play great defense. And Colgate being a team that I think their conference schedule this year, they only played like five different teams because even just their conference was split up. They just weren't ready for it. So uh, they hung out with them for a little bit. But Arkansas has been looking really, really good. And then moving on, next two games, Illinois takes down 16 seed Drexel. Not really surprised there. Texas Tech 15, 65-53 over Utah State. I'm kind of disappointed by that just because that was one of my upset picks. But, hey, you win some, you lose some. Then uh, next game of the day was Oral Roberts, 15 seed Oral Roberts against Ohio State. If I remember correctly, the pace of that game, Oral Roberts had their number most of the game. And then kind of like Virginia Tech and Florida, Ohio State ended up bringing it to overtime late in the game and just couldn't w- couldn't get it done for some reason, and Oral Roberts pulled up the pulled out the first big upset of the tournament, winning seventy five to seventy two. Probably one of the le- one of the upsets people were least expecting to happen in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the. I mean, you know, like with all the apps that I made brackets in, it was sending out updates with the first week, and I'm like, hey, this is how many perfect brackets are left. You know, is your is your bracket still perfect? And the first big chunk where a lot of perfect brackets went down 
was an Oral Roberts won this game. And I'm very I'm disappointed in myself. Throughout this weekend, there was always so many games going on at once that I actually missed both of Oral Roberts' games. I've gone back and watched some of it because they have some great players. But I, I'm really upset that I missed this game. I don't remember what I was watching at the time. But Oral Roberts going back and watching that, I mean, they're – they're playing great. They got a couple of great players, and you know they're they're this year's Cinderella. I don't know if they're going to keep it going. I think they have Arkansas next, who I just talked about as a great team. But you know they're they're fun to watch, and I I just can't. Ohio State was streaky this year, but this this shocked me a lot. And that was one. Of, they were a Elite Eight team for me as well. And when I because I was watching the last couple minutes, uh, I was watching the last few minutes of that game go down. It was like okay, okay, Ohio State, you you avoided the upset in regulation. And then some, and then Oral Roberts was just the better team, and it's it's one of those it's gonna it's just one of those situations like Oregon, Ohio, sorry, Michigan State in Middle Tennessee a couple of years ago. It's just one of one of those games where it's like it's March. This is exactly what we what we watched the tournament for. Yeah, but, we we don't need to talk about fifteen two upsets uh, too much because we're gonna get down to Mizzou Norfolk State, and I don't want to relive that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Bay, and then Baylor took down another 16 seed Hartford. Again, no surprise there. I want to I want to highlight Loyola Chicago and Georgia Tech. This was actually one of the games that I was very optimistic about. I did kind of have a Georgia Tech bias, but honestly, I thought this was going to be the game of the the game of the week. And for the first half, it was. It was a very tight, competitive game, and there were a couple lead changes, especially into the second half. But then something happened. Loyola Chicago just ended up playing the better game. Ended up taking the lead further and further. Ended up getting the 71-60 to victory to move on. Yeah, I mean, this what Loyola Chicago has been doing this year shouldn't surprise anyone, obviously, because of what we saw in 2018. Georgia Tech was without um, Moses Wright, who was the ACC Player of the Year. So, obviously, that hurts. Uh, they still put up a great fight. But Loyola Chicago, coming into the tournament, where they were the best-ranked defensive team in the tournament. They really know what they're doing. And I, this was one game that, like, I really liked what Georgia Tech was doing. And as I said, I kind of like those ACC schools to win some tournament games. But I, it was hard for me to pick against Loyola Chicago knowing what they were capable of, seeing them as a Final Four team just a few years before. And that's why I was just going back to Selection Sunday. I was I was picking, like, both of those teams are going to go far. But they end up being seated right next to each other. And they both had to play against they whoever won. They're probably going to be playing against Illinois, which, again, we'll get to that in a moment. But moving on. I mean, Loyola Chicago should have been higher than an 8 seed. I think when, like, Selection Sunday rolled around, they were ranked in the top 20. They should have been a top 4 or 5 seed. So I don't know what happened there, but uh, Illinois felt the wrath of that. They, they had to deal with that. Once again, we'll talk about Loyola Chicago in a bit, but Oregon State pulling off the upset against 5th seed of Tennessee, 70-56, to which was just kind of a situation where I thought, okay, Tennessee was... Tennessee had a good shot of winning this game, but they probably weren't going back, going past Oklahoma State. Turns out they're not going past anybody. So, and then you ended up, and then you watched some of Oregon State, the four seed Oklahoma State versus thirteen seed Liberty. So, t- talk to us about that. Yeah, well, uh, just touching back on Oregon State, um, I actually had Tennessee like beating Oklahoma State and even. Uh, um, making a, a run, a, a pretty deep run in the tournament. So they, they disappointed me. But Oklahoma State Liberty, uh, I had to tune into this one just because Kate Cunningham is an absolutely incredible player. He's probably going to be the top pick in the draft. And uh, Liberty is one of the small schools that I like. Uh, their head coach, Richie McKay, I really like what he does. Liberty's a fun team to watch. They're they're not the biggest team, but they're very fundamentally sound. They have some decent athletes. There's just some, some great basketball players. So I thought this was going to be a really fun one. And I kind of had Oklahoma State on upset alert. But at the end of the day, Kate Cunningham... 
Uh, you know, he played great. Oklahoma State played great. They avoided the upset for a little bit, which, you know, we'll get into some of these other games later. But, um, yeah, Cade played great. Liberty, they're a team that I expect to see in this tournament a lot, but it just wasn't their year for an upset. In the next two games, Wisconsin, 9th seed Wisconsin takes down 8th seed, seed North Carolina. And it wasn't even close. Wisconsin kind of just took control and never looked back. Houston, 2 seed Houston, that takes down Houston, takes down 15 seed Cleveland State. And then another major upset, North Texas takes down 4 seed of Purdue, 78 to 69. I'm pretty sure this is a team that a lot of people had on the had major on their brackets. Well, mine's well, at least for me, because I had them going to like Elite Eight, thinking that they were going to go far. But it's just one of those situations where look good, look good on paper, but you get them in the tournament that anything can happen. Yeah, I know I had Purdue making a, a decent run, but I mean, is it, what was crazy to me about this game is I, I was I caught the end of it. I didn't watch the chunk of it, though. I pretty much just saw overtime. But what I saw in overtime and what some people uh, were telling me that watched the game is that they didn't like this was called an upset because they really felt like North Texas looked like the better team. You know, Purdue is another one of those big conferences. The Big Ten is great. Uh, we've seen them make runs before. I think recently they've had a Sweet 16 and an Elite 8 appearance in the past few tournaments. So it was a team that people have begun to trust. But North Texas was like a pretty good squad. And uh, that was was an exciting upset for that. I think it was their first tournament win ever. So seeing history made like that is always fun. And then the game after that, 10 seed Rutgers upset 7 seed Clemson. I think that was one of the games people were like, it, this one could probably go either way. End up going Rutgers' <laughs> way. <laughs> They were coming into this, I think, uh, either first or tied for first and quad one wins on the year with like 10. So I thought they were just, you know, battle hardened and ready to go to make a run. I thought they were going to shock a lot of people, and I was wrong immediately. I was actually talking to uh, DJ Cadden of the of, of Georgia Southern, the Georgian, and he was like, yeah, Clemson's one of those teams that always ends up disappointing me. And I, I had them going with round or two as well, so... You know, I guess that's just... And seeing how this has kind of happened with them in the, in the past, I'm not exactly the most surprised. Anyway, another big upset. 11-seeded Syracuse, 78-62 to over a 6-seeded San Diego State. And then 5-seed Villanova takes down 12-seeded Winthrop, 73-63. Honestly, that was one of the blinder picks I made, just kind of thinking that, hey, maybe this would be a fun... End- this maybe this is going to be fun upset to see, but because you know Villanova, they're not they're not at the heights that they were in like the mid twenty the mid twenty tens, but it's good to see that they're still playing solid. Yeah, I mean this was a, a popular upset pick because Colin Gillespie, their their senior veteran point guard, you know the real the real leader of that team, had just torn his MCL and they were zero and two without him. They got bounced in the first round of the Big East tournament by Georgetown. So a lot of people just thought without having their leader, their point guard on the court, that they weren't going to stay in the tournament very long. And they're still hanging around. I think Jay Wright is arguably the best coach in the country. Uh, and and Villanova is just a team that it's it's hard for me to bet against them personally, just because. You know, we've seen what they can do, you know, surprising the people in 2016 and then just running through everybody in 2018 with no issues. So uh, I, there's, it's a little surprising that they're doing this without Gillespie, but uh, I, I trust Nova. And then you also watched the five, game 5 seed Colorado against 12 seed Georgetown, so give us a rundown on that. Well, this one kind of hurt because, um, as, we'll, as we've kind of seen talking to some of these games, the Pac-12 has been playing pretty well. They have four teams in the Sweet 16, but the one team I believed in most was Colorado, and they got it done this game. And at Georgetown, like I said, they, they 
beat Villanova in that Big East tournament. They ended up making a run and winning the whole tournament. And going into the tournament, their record was like 13-12. and 12. I think they just kind of got lucky in their conference tournament, and they didn't belong in the tournament, but they had that automatic bid. So they were there, and I knew Colorado was just in a different class as Georgetown. So this, is, this game is one that I watched strictly just salty because Georgetown was there fully expecting Colorado to blow them out. And honestly, I thought that Georgetown was going to actually make a run, particularly because they were they're riding off a lot of momentum from the Big East tournament. Even I kind of people were saying like, "Oh, their talent level isn't good," but I was like, "But I've also seen people say like they're playing for their coach, and that's a dangerous kind of momentum to be playing against." But Colorado and just end up getting it done anyway. So that's a that's a Sweet Sixteen pick that's gone yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean the problem with. The problem I had with Georgetown is I think some teams, you know, in in kind of a, a figurative sense, you can play your Super Bowl too early. And so I think if they had a better record this year and were more of an at-large bid, then they come into the tournament with more to prove. But I think when they won the Big East tournament, that was kind of their championship. Their season was capped. You know, the season was a success. They were done. And I think all the momentum kind of ended there. And Colorado had just lost their conference tournament to Oregon State, which was a huge shocker because Oregon State came out of nowhere. So I think Colorado had a little more to prove, whereas Georgetown felt like they had already proved themselves. So I was – and I just like Colorado as a team. I like how they play. So I was fully expecting a blowout, and that's what happened. And then after that, 4C Florida, Florida State, 64-54 over 13-seed UNC Greensboro. And the game after that was 3C Kansas versus 14-seed Eastern Washington. Tell us a little bit about that, Riley. Um, well, I go to Mizzou, so I hate Kansas and everything they stand for, so I had to watch them hoping that they got upset. And uh, Eastern Washington looked like, you know, a team from L.A. Fitness. You know, you look at them, and you didn't think that they were going to be any threat, and they gave Kansas a bit of a scare. This was a very high-scoring game, 93-84. Uh, Eastern Washington, you know, they, they hung in there. They had a couple guys that were just gritty. They had a, a guy down low that could score. They had some brothers. I can't remember their last names right now, but uh, I think Kansas was too athletic, too experienced. Uh, especially with the up-and-down season, they had to overcome some adversity, and they really came out of it um, more prepared for this game. Eastern Washington, just they're, they're really fun to watch. They're going to be a team that will be terrorizing uh, pickup games for forever, but uh, they just they didn't have the talent to beat Kansas. And then LSU 76 over 76-61 over St. Bonaventure. Uh, I don't, honestly, I kind of just thought that LSU is kind of in a league of their own. After watching them in the SEC tournament, I kind of expected that this one from them. I'm biased. One of my favorite just smaller schools. I love St. Bonaventure. They're the Bonnies. You know, they've had a couple guys go to the G League and stuff that I liked watching, so I really I wanted St. Bonaventure to win, but LSU is a huge team. They're an athletic team, but it doesn't stop there. They have some really good basketball players. They play high-level basketball, so I wasn't surprised, but I was sad because I, I like the Bonnies. And then the last game of – or. That was the last game of day one. Moving down to day two, or I believe that was day one. Moving down to day two was first seed in Michigan, 82-66 over Texas Southern. Again, this only happened once. I'm not expecting this every year. Uh, and then, you know, we got Creighton versus UCSB. This was a game I kind of watched the end of it because the my prior the game I was really watching at this point was Iowa versus Alabama. But, you know... Very tight game. I had some I had some friends that, that said, like, hey, UCSB could pull off this upset. And I was like, no, nah, I think Creighton's just the stronger team. And they end up finishing the game. <laughs> that, yeah. um, but, and, it, was, it was close. It was a close I mean, game. Like, uh, Creighton's point guard, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, is a player that I'm a big fan of. 
he has a complete game. He can shoot the ball from anywhere. He has a little bit of a post game for a guard. He has a good handle. He's their leading scorer, leading assist man. He just plays really like pure basketball, and I really like to watch it. And he really uh, led his team to a win here. He's played great so far throughout this tournament. And then Christian Bishop, uh, a big man for them, he's had a double-double in both games, and they've had guys like Damian Jefferson step up and, and add some points too. Creighton is a complete team. They have a lot of guys that can hurt you, and they have a guy like Marcus Zagorowski that can turn it on when he needs to, which is kind of what happened. He helped Creighton really close this one out. But they were on upset alert, but they're an experienced team. They were battle-tested this year, and it, it helped them pull it out in this game. Now this, this next game is one I could talk a lot about of Alabama versus Iona. Going into the going into the tournament, I thought that this was this was going to be my major upset pick because of one thing: their head coach Rick Pitino, and that's because this is a coach that has taken five different teams to the NCAA men's basketball tournament, and I thought that he had the potential to end up out coaching Nick Oates and the out and the Crimson Tide. But the problem was is that. Alabama was the more talented team without contest, but I thought the coaching battle was going to be interesting to see there. And with and for the first half and into the second half, it was a very tight game. Iowa was playing a very good defensive game. They weren't scoring as much as they could have, and they had a lot of opportunities to get some get some points on the board, but they ended up missing a lot of shots that they probably shouldn't have. But they they were playing a really good defensive game. They were shutting down Alabama really well. And that carried over in the second half where they were end up where they end up leading them for a little bit. But with when we we're getting like 15, 10 minutes into the second half, Alabama took control. They just kept on increasing their lead more and more. And then it just it just the upset I wanted to happen. It wasn't meant to be. They end up winning. Let me see here. That ended up being a 68 to 55 win, despite it being a lot more closer through the through the majority of the game. And Alabama ended up moving on. Yeah, I mean, this Alabama was just a team that was they were more prepared to to go down to the wire like that. I mean, Iona, they're a great team. Patino's a great coach, but Alabama had situations this year where they had to close out games, you know, against LSU's and Florida's and Arkansas's and teams like that. And that's just going to prepare you so much more. Whereas Iona, you know, they weren't in a situation this season where they were like, oh, we're really close with this really, really, really good, you know, top ten team. They hadn't learned how to close out against a team like that. And Alabama's defense is incredible. I mean, they, they have so many guys that can hurt you. They're really deep. And so, it, you know, Iona held on for as long as they can. But even watching Alabama-Mizzou this year, Mizzou was completely blowing them out by 20-plus for 35 minutes. And Alabama almost came back and won that game in just the last five minutes. They're able to flip a switch late in the game, and that's exactly what happened here. And that's where the scoreboard makes it look like it was a lot more lopsided than the game actually was. And then moving on to 6-seed USC over 11-seed Drake. That was one of the games you checked out, so tell us about it. Uh, yeah, Drake, I watched their first four game against Wichita State because a lot of people were picking like Wichita State to have an upset in the first round, and I was like, everybody slow your roll. Drake is winning that first four game. Um, and they have a, a point guard named Joseph... Uh, that might not be his, his last name is Yesifu. If I got his first name wrong, I apologize. But he went off against Wichita State, completely led them to that win. And I expected another big game here. Drake was an upset pick that I like just because of him alone. You know, I mean, he still had like 26 points, I think, against USC. But USC, they have the Mobley brothers. Evan Mobley is going to be a, a top five pick, probably a top three pick. And his brother Isaiah could probably find himself in the lottery with how he's playing in the tournament right now. They're two seven-footers that are extremely skilled. And, uh, I mean, we've seen it in both of their games in this tournament that's just a lot to handle for some of these teams so drake put up a good fight this is a 
another game that I think the scoreboard is a little unfair. Drake just wasn't able to knock down a lot of shots that they should have been making. Um, so it looks a little lopsided, but they really played a close game. And their coach, who signed an eight-year extension, he's a fantastic coach. He's worked under Greg McDermott and Dana Altman. So I think Drake is a team that everyone should expect to see here quite frequently. Moving on to second seed Iowa versus 15 seed Greg Hanyan. Uh, you know, I think when when people look at Iowa, I think there's one there's one player that always comes to mind, and that's I think it's Luca Garza. Is his name? It's hard to pronounce. Luca Garza. Sorry, Luca Garza. Yeah, Luca yeah. Garza, one of the best one of the best players in the entire NCAA, is able to really put carry his team through the end because if they didn't have him, they'd have a lot of trouble getting in games, and that's a very similar thing what happened here. He had a really good night against Grand Canyon, and they end up grabbing momentum at the very beginning of the game and just end up never letting go. Yeah, I mean, Luca Garza is an incredible player. A lot of people, uh, let's say he was the best player in the country this year, he's probably going to be in tons of awards uh, as the season goes on. But the problem is Iowa didn't really have consistency with some of their other players. And obviously that's enough to get past Grand Canyon. You know, Garza's probably enough for that. But Joe Wieskamp and, and Jordan Bohannon, uh, you know, we'll talk about it later. That's kind of what plagued them in the second round, not having a, a complete team. But Garza is an absolute monster. You know, some of these lower seeds were, were given these top seeds a tough time to start some of these games. But just like with Alabama, Iona, it happened again with Iowa Grand Canyon. They just can't play a full 40 minutes with these schools. It's not going to happen. And then Maryland-UConn. I kind of watched a little bit of this game. And Tennessee Maryland ended up upsetting UConn 63-54. This was another game that I ended up talking with a lot of people about. And they were like, yeah. This could probably go either way. And from what I recall about this game, Maryland actually really just ended up just really ended up having the upper hand. It was close a couple of times, but it was really overall Maryland's game. Yeah, I um I had in my like main bracket, I had UConn beating Alabama in the second round. They were a team kind of like Virginia Tech that I was just really confident in uh, to, to surprise somebody at some point in the tournament. And uh, they lost here. I know they have a Bo Knight, their best guard, he's just a phenomenal player. I think he averaged like 19 points this year. And I thought he was really going to lead them to a couple wins. Uh, and they got bounced first round. So this was another, you know, the first, it didn't take long for my bracket to just get shattered. But this is one where I felt very confident in UConn, especially a few years ago. Um, I guess it's a little bit longer now. But uh, when they had Shabazz and Apier, they were like an eight or nine seed and found themselves in the championship game. So it's kind of like how I feel about Syracuse. They normally outperform their seed. So I didn't really care if they were seven. I was like, I trust UConn. And they let me down. And moving on to uh, Ohio, 13 seed Ohio, pulling off a 62-58 to 58 upset against 4 seed Virginia. Honestly, I think of all the upsets, this is probably the one I think most people probably should have expected. And I'll argue it's because of the situation that happened at the ACC tournament the the week prior, where Virginia had some players tested positive, had to forfeit, had a forfeit against Georgia Tech in the semifinals. And this is a situation where they had to go, they had to go from quarantine straight to Indianapolis, and they had, and that put them in a very hectic practice schedule where it was way more difficult to get ready for it. For a March match, for a first round game, than it normally would have been for a team of their caliber, and I feel like Ohio had the perfect opportunity to just end up striking them hard and put them in this uncomfortable situation that maybe with it, maybe with that time they may have had without COVID, they'd be ready for. Mm-hmm. And I think another reason a lot of people picked Ohio here, I had picked Ohio. You know, I tried to pick a good amount of upsets, and I think this might have been the only one I got right. Um, 
Ohio had their point guard's name is Jason Preston. He was storied all throughout the years, a guy who, you know, was leaving high school with no offers, and uh, he was ready to go to journalism school. You know, he was, he was done with basketball. And then uh, the last summer before he started his freshman year of college, he played AAU, made a mixtape, and, like, tweeted it out, and ended up getting an offer from Ohio. And then this year he averages uh, almost 16 points with 7.2 assists, which is a lot for college. That is a very impressive number for college, was one and a half steals on top of that. I mean, he was just a great feel-good story, and so a lot of people wanted to see Ohio make a run just because of his story. And he played, he played pretty – he didn't – score a ton but he I think he almost had a triple double and his presence was definitely felt he's a very high IQ player which might not be what you expect out of a AAU tape guy you know getting his <laughs> offer but he's a great player and, and Ohio really uh I don't think they surprised a lot of people I think a lot of people had faith in them and then uh let's move on to 8 seed Oklahoma versus 9 seed Missouri e- Riley just take that take that one <laughs> <laughs> I mean this was this was hard to watch I mean this whole tournament situation was just hard. I mean, at one point, we were ranked 10th in the country, and we came into the tournament as a nine seed. That was disappointing. We finished the year horrible. Uh, our head coach, Conzo Martin, didn't even play his best player for the end of the game, and we had a, his backup, Drew Bugs, who can't even make a three, whatever we needed a three at the end of the game. Xavier Pinson only played 18 minutes. It just hurt to watch. You know, props to Oklahoma. Their point guard, Austin Reeves, is a complete baller. He is so good and so fun to watch, and I really hope that uh, he can find a place at the next level. And, uh, but this, it sucked. I was sad. <laughs> and then, you know, you also watch Gonzaga versus Norfolk State, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like watching the 116 games because we know what's going to happen, and the score showed 98-55. to 55. I think this might have been the biggest blowout of the first round. But I just, if I have the chance to watch Gonzaga, I love watching them. Their trio of Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs is incredible. They also have Joel Ayayi and Andrew Nimhard, who was a transfer from Florida. This team is deep, and they really don't have any weaknesses. When you look across the board, Gonzaga is like first in the country field goal percentage, first in three-point percentage, and then they're like top one or two in a lot of the defensive statistics. They're a really good rebounding team. I mean, they... They've, they're my pick to win the whole thing because I don't know if any team is on their level. And Norfolk State actually hung around with them for a little bit in the beginning. It was close for like the first 10 minutes. And uh, Norfolk State was getting kind of chippy, starting to talk a little trash. And Gonzaga flipped that switch. And uh, that's why the final score was a 43-point difference. And U- UCLA versus B- BYU. I, I also think this is kind of an upset that people probably should have been expecting because... Let's take it back real quick to the first four game versus UCLA, UCLA and Michigan State. I thought that was going to be a very exciting game, and it was. But Michigan Michigan State actually had the upper hand by a good margin for the majority of that game. And then the last couple minutes, it just slipped through their fingers. They went to overtime, and UCLA, UCLA just finished the deal from there. Yeah, I... This... When I saw how this was set up and I saw the first four game was Michigan State and UCLA, I was 1,000% sure that the winner of that game was going to beat BYU. Um, I would, I was, for me, it was more of a sure thing if it was UCLA. This is a team that right now is 20-9. and nine. You know, they were fourth in the Pac-12, and uh, they had someone from their program mention if the ball had bounced a different way just a few different times throughout the year, they could have been a top-four seed easily, maybe even a top-three seed. UCLA was a very good school, and seeing them at an 11 seed, I thought that was so disrespectful. They have they have the the three J's they refer to them with Johnny Juzang, Jamie Jacques Jr., and Jules Bernard. Those guys are ballers. Uh, they have six guys averaging uh, 10 or more points per game. 
I mean, this is a very deep team, a very skilled team that plays high-level basketball. So them beating BYU and Michigan State really was not a shock to me at all. And let's talk about uh, seven seed. Set, let's talk about the seventeen seven seed Oregon versus ten seed VCU game. But gotcha, it wasn't a game. It was no contest. What ended up happening is VCU were getting too many COVID tests, and they needed five guys to play on the play on the court. They couldn't get that, so Oregon ended up getting the game just straight up. And honestly. It sucks to see, but on, but this was something that was honestly bound to happen. It was going to happen to at least one team. But on the flip side, what from what I've been hearing of, of when this whole thing was going wild Saturday night is that this is some a situation that the NCAA, hopefully, knock on wood, has under control, and hopefully this is going to be the only spread of that. Yeah, and it really sucks because I know a lot of people liked VCU in this game, and uh, I think they were going to be missing one of their players, and I saw one of their other players tweet out or something that you know they were playing for him and all this and that's we talked about earlier like when you're playing for a coach or anything like that when you're playing for something a little extra it can always be dangerous and vcu is a school that we've seen here before and seen pull off upsets and even seen in this tournament as a higher seed you know they're uh that wouldn't be a shocker to see in the tournament so a lot of people at vcu over oregon so it sucks that this game didn't happen but as we'll talk about later oregon has proved that uh, they might not have got upset in that game yeah, it's not like I had VCU pulling that off that upset or anything. <laughs> and then, final game of the night ends with a pretty big upset. Adeline Christian upsets three-seeded Texas. Run us through that, Riley. So, this was honestly, it was easily the biggest surprise of the first round. The next thing we'll talk about was my other very surprising game. But, um, this... Texas is a team that with Matt Coleman and Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey, they have three very experienced guards that have been here before and they've been playing together. And they had guys like Kai Jones in the front court that were younger but were great basketball players. But overall, this was an experienced team. They had just won the Big 12 tournament. They had so much momentum. And the one thing I wouldn't expect is for them to go out and play like a bunch of freshmen. They played a school in Abilene Christian that – in my opinion, could have been one of the worst teams in this tournament. To me, they did not look like a very good... They just didn't look like they had a lot of good basketball players. But Texas turned the ball over 23 times. And that's not what I expect when you have that three-headed monster of those super experienced guards. And in all honesty, Texas beat themselves. Abilene Christian ended up uh, winning this game on free throws because they were down 52-51, and Texas just needed a stop, and they fouled Joe Pleasant of Abilene Christian... And they talked about in high school, he had to make a couple free throws to win the state championship, and he did it here again in the NCAA tournament. And fouling right there at the plate, it was not necessary to foul. You know, there was really no time left. He was going to have to throw up some putback shot. It was disappointing. And, I mean, I, I'm i always fine with seeing Texas suffer, but I just expected a lot better out of, out of them. So that was the first round. It's not like it could get worse for people's brackets. <laughs> Round of 32, first game, 8-seed eight Loyola Chicago versus 1-seed Illinois. I'm pretty sure this is a, this was a, Matt, Illinois was a contender that a lot of people was like, hey, they're probably going to end up making the Final Four, if not the championship, if not win at all. And for me, that was my pick to win at all. But Loyola Chicago, uh, doing what they've been doing the past five, year, five years or so, they played... An amazing game. They played a very strong defensive game. 
they shut Illinois' greatest strengths down, and they made Illinois look way weaker than they really were. I mean, Porter Moser is a fantastic coach. He knows what he's doing. And like I mentioned earlier, that's why we've seen this team in a Final Four. And I think what some people may not have realized is going into that game, Loyola Chicago might have had the edge on just tournament experience. You know, their best player, Crutwig, their big man in the middle, um, he had like 19, 12, and 5. He had a great game. He was a freshman on that team that made the Final Four. So he'd been here before. This wasn't new to him. And, uh, I mean, this it's embarrassing for Illinois considering Loyola Chicago is just a few hours away from their campus. You know, it's kind of like losing to your little brother. <laughs> but Loyola Chicago is a fantastic defensive team. I mentioned earlier they were statistically the best defensive team in the country. And they came out here and just punched Illinois in the mouth straight up. And Illinois was not ready for it. And, I mean, I, my mom asked me when she was on her bracket, she's like, I don't like that everyone's picking Gonzaga to win. So if Gonzaga's not going to win, who's it going to be? And without hesitation, I said Illinois. This was a team that had so much momentum coming off the Big Ten Championship. They've been playing so, so well, and it all just crumbled right here. And it, this is this and Texas uh, losing Abilene Christian are the two most surprising games of the tournament to me. Moving on, uh, Baylor ends up being Wisconsin, 76-63. to, 90, to You know, one of the best teams in the tournament. There isn't really much to say except, you know, they're, they're, playing, they're playing great with the materials they got. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, being in the Big Ten and playing a lot of the teams they did, they've really been tested this year, and they're a good, good team. And we saw them smack North Carolina in the first round. They're a good basketball team. But Baylor, even though they kind of faltered at the end of the year, picking up a couple of losses against an Oklahoma State, they are back in that. I mean, I mentioned UCLA having like a three-headed monster, Texas having a three-headed monster with these guards. It does not compare to Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and Massey Teague. That is, I mean, that's... Up there with Gonzaga is the best big three in the country. And when Baylor is playing this brand of basketball and playing at their best, you know, they may be the only team, in my opinion, that can compete with Gonzaga, and that's really the championship that I'm hoping for. And we're gonna we're gonna go to some we got we had a really good streak of games, a really good close streak of games after this. First one was another major upset, eleven seed Syracuse beating three seed Virginia. That was one of the games you checked out, Riley, so tell us about it. Um, at this point, if Syracuse is on the winning side, uh, it's not an upset. I with, with this team, I ignore the number in front of their name because just a few years ago when they had Malachi Richardson, they were a 10 seed and they were in the Final Four. Jim Beheim is an incredible coach, and he has a son, if anyone doesn't know, named Buddy Beheim. that is a star. He scored 55 points total in their two tournament games so far. I believe he had 25 against West Virginia, 19 of them coming in the second half. He can shoot it from anywhere. He can drive inside. You know, he's 6'6". Six, six. He's, he's a fantastic player. He averaged 18 points per game on the season. But that 2-3 zone that they run, they were all in the passing lanes just disturbing anything West Virginia was trying to get going. Uh, West Virginia really hung in there just because they were starting to make some difficult shots. But Syracuse looks really, really good. And they're, they're not an 11 seed. They're so much better than that. And um, I really I expect them to keep winning. I don't see them losing anytime soon with the way that they've been playing. They look fantastic. Uh, so they have Houston next. Give me Syracuse over Houston. They look really good. And then we got Arkansas. And then you also watch three seed Arkansas versus six seed Texas Tech. Give us give us some info about that. Uh, this one hurt to watch. Uh, it got down to the end, and Mac McClung was at the free throw line with a chance to give Texas Tech the lead, and uh, he missed his free throws, and it it just sucked for them. Or I think he had a chance to tie or something. Is either way, Mac McClung missed a big free throw, and if you're Texas Tech and you get to the end of that game, and you're like, hey, our best player. 
who's like an 80% free throw shooter, is at the line to, you know, help us tie or win this game, you'd feel confident, and, and he let them down. Texas Tech really played a great game, but Arkansas, again, they are gritty, they draw a lot of charges, they have players that can make shots, and this team has just learned throughout the season how to win games. They know how to close out games, and they did it again here with a little help from Mac McClung, but again, they're another team that's looking really hot right now. And then next game, very, uh, three point three point finish. Second seed, second seed Houston takes down Tennessee Rutgers, sixty three to sixty. End up kind of giving them a run for their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it, it kind of hurt me more because I feel like if Clemson could have just pulled it out of a Rutgers, they could have beat Houston. <laughs> but <laughs> Houston's led by Quentin Grimes. He's a transfer from Kansas. He's a phenomenal player. He's a great scorer. He has one of the best looking jump shots in the country. Uh, and he, he really helped them in this game. I think he was like, I think he might have made five or six threes in this game. And uh, he led them over Rutgers, who another Big Ten team that was really tested this season just with how deep that conference was. So they're, they're a good basketball team. Did surprise me. But Houston, you know, they were a top five mainstay for most of this season. So they're living up to it right now. And next game was another big three point upset 15 seed Oral Roberts. Ends up moving to the Sweet 16, taking down Florida, 81-78. to And honestly, I think between Virginia Tech and Florida, I honestly thought who won that game was going to end up losing to was going to end up losing to Ohio State. But when you have Oral Roberts winning, I was like, okay, or Florida State should have that in the bag. But Oral Roberts playing some really, really good basketball right now. Yeah, they, O'Bannon, their big man, he's 6'8", 220, yeah, and so he's been undersized with some of the guys he's been playing against, but he has 20-plus rebounds in these two games they played. He's very skilled. He can step out of the perimeter and make jump shots, score inside. He's fantastic. And uh, this is another one I actually ended up uh, falling asleep watching these basketball, and I slept through Oral Roberts versus Florida, and that hurt me so bad because I wanted to watch that team. So I, I'm going to make sure to check out the Sweet 16 game, but watching some of the back, I saw the end of the game. Uh, I think there were some uh, missed free throws. Uh, but Florida, they missed a shot to tie, and then Scotty Lewis got a rebound in the corner, and he just kind of threw up a crazy three-pointer with five seconds left, where I think if he made a pass, they would have had some open guys in Florida could have got a good look to force an overtime. But he just kind of chucked up a bad shot, trying to be the hero. And Earl Roberts was able to escape, and now they find themselves in the Sweet 16, which is just absolutely insane. I would not have predicted that. The Cinderella moves on, and then, you know, uh, five C Villanova takes down thirteen C North Texas eighty four to sixty one. That runs over with another upset. Oregon State upsets twelve State or twelve C to Oregon State upsets four C to Oklahoma State. You watched a bit of that, Riley. Tell us about it. Um, I just am wondering how long this momentum is going to keep going from Oregon State. They were a team that was eleven and eleven at one point this year. And finished the season winning like five of their last six games or six of their last seven games. And they went on a great run to win the Pac-12. And kind of like Georgetown, I thought it was going to end there. Yet here they are in the Sweet 16 knocking off the team with the potential number one pick in the draft. Um, they just got a lead in the beginning and it was close. But Oregon State was kind of able to, to keep a little gap between them and Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State started playing some you know, great pressure defense at the end of that game. And Oregon State looked like they might crumble. Um, they were starting to turn the ball over a little bit, letting Oklahoma State hang around. But at the end of the day, Ethan Thompson and some of those guys at Oregon State started making some shots, and they were able to close it out and win it by 10. I mean, the Pac-12, as I mentioned, four teams in the Sweet 16. I, I, I'm just wondering how, how long Oregon State can keep this up. Next game, the week, next game after that was the first Monday game, if I'm not mistaken. Or, seven seed Oregon upsets two seed at Iowa. 
Luka Garza actually ended up scoring 36 points in that game, but it was kind of what we were talking about earlier, is that inconsistency with their other players that ended up haunting them in the end. Yeah, it, it really hurt to see Garza go out like that. I mean, he had 36. He left it all out on the court. He was crying at the end of the game. Um, you know, he said in his press conference he kept coming back to Iowa because there was unfinished business, and he was never able to finish it, which is really sad because he's a phenomenal player. But Oregon is a team that just... They have a lot of different guys. They have a lot of athletes. They have guys that can make shots like Chris, uh, Chris Duarte. He's a fantastic player. And really, this game was close. Every time Iowa, you know, was in, within striking since the end of that game, Oregon would go on a run, knocking down some tough shots. And, you know, when teams are just making shots regardless of your defense, it's it's hard to beat them. I mean, Iowa put up 80 points and still lost by 15. So at the end of the day, you know, you got to play better defense. But Oregon looks really good, and they have a, a matchup with another Pac-12 foe that uh, we'll get into later. Disappointing, disappointing finish for Luka Garza in the in Iowa. Honestly, I had them in the Final Four, thinking that you know if they could get their get their their other players into some consistency with Luka Garza, yeah, that was going to be the formula to end up going to the fi- Final Four. But nope, didn't work out. Uh, then the next game for Gonzaga thrashes Oklahoma. This is probably a good game for you to watch. Um. Yeah, I, part of me was just I wanted to see Oklahoma get destroyed because they just beat Mizzou. But um, they actually gave them a, a good run for a little bit. They were making some shots. Austin Reeves was playing great. He was giving them a lot of trouble in the pick and roll. Um, Oklahoma has a big man. Uh, I think his last name is Manic. He can knock down a three. And so they were really mixing in the pick and roll, pick and pop. And Gonzaga was struggling with it for a little bit. But then at one point, again, they flipped that switch and they were like, hey, you know, we're Gonzaga, we haven't lost this year for a reason, and Oklahoma just couldn't keep up with their depth and their shot-making ability, and uh, they eventually ran away with it. Drew Timmy had 30 points, and, you know, Oklahoma had no answers for guarding him, and they really couldn't keep up with Jalen Suggs' athleticism, and uh, Corey Kispert kind of quiet, only with 11 points, but it was enough. And then the next game, UCLA versus Abilene Christian. Does, does Abilene Christian continue this run after taking down Texas? That answer is no. They end up losing by 20, 67-47 against UCLA, who, again, is looking really good right now. But for Abilene Christian, I just think this is a kind of situation where, like, they got their upset, but them being in the second round, just it just didn't feel like they belonged at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mentioned it earlier. Texas beat themselves, having 23 turnovers. And I... So Abilene, like I watched some of these other teams, like Ohio and even uh, UC Santa Barbara, that lost. Like, there were some of these um, lower seeded teams that I was like, you know, they're good. This is a good basketball team, so I'm not surprised that they're upsetting these teams. Abilene Christian was not a very good team. They shouldn't have been in the second round. It should have been Texas. We should have got a great, close, exciting Texas UCLA game, and we didn't. And UCLA showed us why Abilene Christian really didn't belong there. This was not close at any point. Then if you've watched fifth fifth seed Creighton versus thirteen seed Ohio State. Uh, I thought this was going to be closer. To be honest, I mean, we talk, I talked about Ohio and Jason Press and everything they had, and Creighton, you know, coming have a really close game with uh, UCSB. I thought maybe we were going to see another double digit seed in the Sweet Sixteen, but Creighton really stepped it up. Uh, as I mentioned, Marcus Zagorowski and uh, Christian Bishop they they played phenomenal games, and Creighton just completely outclassed them here. You could just tell that they were the better team, and so that's why they were there. Again, I think this game was a little closer than the scoreboard shows in 72-58, but Ohio just couldn't knock down some of their shots. But, I mean, it was fun to watch them this year, but Creighton is a very solid team. I'm going to take that Ohio had a really really good opportunity to strike against Virginia, 
And I think a lot. I think if Virginia has a has a more consistent practice schedule leading up to the tournament, they end up being Virginia, and they end up playing against Creighton, maybe even win against Creighton. But in this situation, Ohio end up being there, and I think that Creighton. And it's like you say, Creighton was just the better team in the in this game. And you also watched. I I watched a little bit of it myself, but you know Michigan taking down LSU, beating them by all, by eight. Yeah, and when you see that the final score was an eight-point difference, it may not seem like the game was super exciting, but this was honestly one of the games that I enjoyed watching the most because it was very back and forth. The leads kept changing, but it was very, very high-level basketball. Uh, Cam Thomas on LSU, if you guys haven't watched him, go watch him. He does not care where the defender is. He just shoots it like crazy. He shoots it whenever he wants, and he makes a lot of difficult shots, and dare I say it, it's a little Kobe Bryant-esque. And I say that as a giant Kobe fan, but just watching him, I mean, it kind of looks like and he was, you know, shooting all these fadeaways, super contested, and just knocking it down. I really thought he was going to lead LSU to the win here. Michigan was my least favorite one seed. I didn't trust them a lot. And it's kind of changed now after watching that. But this was extremely high-level basketball, and it was very fun to watch. So the scoreboard, I, I really wish it was a lot closer. I wish the end was a little more exciting. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, you said LSU, you know, you thought they were a very good team watching them. They are. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate they were an eight seed. They were way better than an eight seed. Uh, and this was a very, very exciting game. And overall, their program is just a pretty solid one at that. I mean, they were a three seed a couple of years ago. So honestly, I mean, they're, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're in the echelon of some of the best teams in the country. But honestly, if they keep going in this direction, they probably will be sooner or later. Yeah, and then moving on to Florida, uh, you you know you think Colorado was a tougher one of your favorite teams in the tournament. Uh, yeah. They lose to Florida State, seventy one to fifty three. It's a harsh one, but honestly, Florida State. I mean, say what you will. I mean, say what you will about some of the troubles because you know they had some turnover troubles against some teams like Georgia Tech in the ACC tournament. But honestly, they are a pretty solid group, and they're always one of those teams that you're looking at in the in the tournament and seeing if they're going to go far. They're a team that it bothers me. The way that they are and like how they make these runs in the tournament. Because I remember a few years back, um, a lot of people didn't even know if they were, they were kind of a bubble team. People didn't know if they were going to make the tournament. They ended up getting an eight seed. They played Mizzou first round, beat us, and ended up making a run to like the Elite Eight. They're just such a streaky team. Some games you watch them, and you're like, wow, you know, maybe this team could beat anybody. In other games, you're like, really? How is their record so good? Like, they're just... They're very back and forth, and it just kind of bothers me sometimes. But Colorado was a team that I had um, winning against Florida State and then beating Michigan to go into the Elite Eight. That's how high I was on Colorado, and they got trounced by Florida State. So this was another one that uh, really was kind of just – I mean, at this point my bracket was already shattered, and this one just hurt. Next up, Alabama 96-77 over, over Maryland. It's not. It wasn't close. I mean, Alabama is just a. It was kind of a situation with, with. I don't know where I said they're a talented team. They're one of the most talented teams in the country, and they have a lot of firepower to use, and that's exactly what we see against Maryland. Yeah, there's just some of these schools that we've mentioned, like Baylor, like Gonzaga, that have you know all these all this depth. Arkansas is the team I mentioned. It's just they have a lot of guys that can make shots, and so it's hard to find a time where. You know, all of them are off at one point. So Alabama just has a lot of guys that can get them going. Now, just what happened against Maryland, uh, a lot of them were getting going, and they end up putting up 96 points, which is just after that might be the tournament high. I don't, or I think Gonzaga had 98 in the first round. But yeah, Alabama is just loaded super deep. They 
don't really have a ton of weaknesses. They shoot the three ball a ton, and they shoot it well, and they play great defense, and Maryland just couldn't keep up, and I didn't expect them to. In the final game of the in the final game of the round of thirty-two, the USC ends up beating Kansas in a six-three upset, eighty-five to fifty-one. And glorious. <laughs> I mean, Kansas is one of those teams where I'm like, they've all. I think they always have the potential to make a fall run, and I thought that's what they were going to do. I thought they were going to at least make. I thought they were going to at least make the Sweet Sixteen, maybe make the Elite Eight, and but they were a team that were kind of battered going into the tournament. And USC, I'm not a fan of USC, but heck, they played a they they dominated Kansas for all fat for all facets. Yeah, this. I mean, I watched part of this because I. I mean, like I kind of had it on while I was doing other things, so I was just kind of glancing just because I wanted to look at the scoreboard and just see Kansas getting destroyed because that is always a wonderful sight to see. But it's just as I mentioned earlier, the Mobley brothers and the just they're so good and so hard to defend because it. Rare in college basketball that you can find a seven-footer that is extremely skilled, can step out and hit threes, you know, with also a great post game that can anywhere and then block all your shots on the other end. Well, USC has two of them. And so whoever they play, they're going to be giving a ton of problems. And uh, I, I expect to see them win, you know, at least one more game probably. But, I mean, they're, they're just too much. And, I mean, Kansas, they're always going to underperform. They never make deep runs in the tournament like they should. You know, round of 32 or Sweet 16 is normally it for them. So... I was happy. And that is the first four days of the of the NCAA Men's National Tournament. We just spent 49 minutes talking about these games. And it was, and it was a really, really good cup, first couple rounds for this tournament. I think there was... Yeah, oh, sorry. I mean, it was definitely... It, it was just... I mean, it was, it's always fun when there's a bunch of upsets. I think it was COVID and it, it was harder to kind of assess... Some of these teams with not as many non-conference games played, and so I think that's why some of the seedings were a little weird. And you had some really good teams with, you know, being double-digit seeds, and some teams that maybe weren't as good with seeds too high. So I, mean, I think it was just hard to assess these teams, and that's why the weekend looked the way it did. But it really made for some exciting basketball. It was fun to watch. I mean, in general, though, I feel I feel there's it feels because I've been I'm, when I'm watching stuff about the tournament and the landscape of college basketball itself. It's kind of like the gaps between the best. The, the top teams is getting closer and closer every year. And that's what I, that's one thing I was wondering what you thought. Do you think that we're in a situation where the gap is shortening or is it mainly just COVID this year? Well, see, with um, the show I do with my friends, we have a website, stuff, and we've done articles talking about the death of the Blue Bloods, and we've talked about this before. The reason why teams like Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and North Carolina struggled this year is that, you know, they, they weren't getting – you know, a ton of the same recruits that they were, and really we're getting to the point where freshmen aren't really going to lead you to a championship now as we see teams like Villanova and Virginia winning national championships. It seems with worse recruits, but they're experienced players. They know what they're doing. Um, but at this point, we just see so many top recruits not picking those blue bloods anymore because, you know, with social media, they get all this recognition in high school that you don't have to go to Kansas or Kentucky anymore to get recognition when you play in college. We saw Zaire Williams who went to Sierra Canyon, you know, he stayed in California and just went to Stanford because he knew that, you know, doesn't matter if Stanford wins a lot of games, doesn't matter what happens, because of my social media presence, I'm still going to be looked at as one of the best players in the country, and that's really hurting these Blue Bloods, and so college basketball as a whole is just going to make them a lot more competitive, and this tournament is just a great reminder that really, in this sport, anyone can beat anyone. We're going to take a look at the, actually, before we do that, I mean, 
brackets busted absolutely everywhere, and I don't, I don't think because like it happened in such a way where I don't think, well, no, nobody could have, nobody predicted it. Like as far as like the most accurate picks, I was looking at this on the ESPN tournament challenge app. Only two pick, only two brackets in the entire world had fifteen of sixteen picks correct. That's a reminder of how crazy this this these first few rounds have been. Yeah, out of millions and millions and millions of brackets. Yeah, and then let's kind of take a look at Stars Mills bracket contest. Let's see where everyone's at right now. Top three, we got at number one leading is Junior Josh Tate with four hundred twenty points. Right now, he's got about fifteen hundred possible left that he could that could work go his way. His final, everybody but Illinois, he he's got three fourths. Of, Three fourths of this, or sorry, he's got three of his final four intact, and he's got Baylor as his champ. Senior Declan Dunn is right behind him with 410 points, and he actually has, he actually could overtake it because he has 610, 1610 points possible left, and he has he has all of his final four intact, and he has Houston as his champion. So if everything goes right for him, he can end up overtaking Josh Tate. And for and third place right now, uh, senior Andrew McBride with 400 points. He has about 1,320 points possible. Three fourths of his final four are intact with OK with Oklahoma State out, and then Gonzaga as his champion. And then the highest, we'll take another the highest faculty member. Uh, at the, our own Prowler advisor Justin Spencer is tied at ninth place, which is currently a seven-way tie with 350 points, with about 910 possible. Three, four, three of his final fours intact, with barring Illinois, which hurts him a lot because Illinois was his champion. At the very yeah. bottom, at the very bottom, in I believe it's like thirty-third place, senior Christian Ramos has two hundred sixty points. However, his max point, his mat, his the max amount of points possible for him is three is three thirteen hundred twenty. And he does have three of his final four intact with, or sorry, yeah, he does have three of his final four intact, Illinois being out, or I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong thing. He does have all of his final four intact, and he does have Houston as a champion. So he could have a pretty good run if the Sweet 16, Elite 8, and everything after that goes his way. And before we move on to previewing the Sweet 16, Riley, what's your bracket looking like? Um... <laughs> Not great. Uh, this this sweet sixteen that we have right here. Um, I had Villanova and Baylor. Uh, I had uh, Gonzaga. Uh, I had Creighton, and uh, I think I had USC. And that may be I had most of the teams that I got right. I mean, it, it my bracket is terrible. I think I got an email updating me that was like, "Hey, your bracket is in like fourteenth million, like fourteen millionth place." I was like, "Oh, thanks. I'm really doing great." My bracket ended up getting, it was busted day one, but Illinois really hurt me bad, and so did Iowa. I had Illinois winning it all, and Iowa going to the Final Four. And for, as far as my Sweet 16, it's not looking that great. I got Gonzaga and Creighton good, good, you know, Michigan's there. And then I thought Iona was going to go farther than they actually did. I thought if they could get past Alabama, they could make a decent run, but no. And then I got Baylor right. I thought Purdue was going to make it to the Sweet 16. Arkansas, yep, I got that. And then Houston. So, yeah, I'm not looking very good right now. And I'm actually... It started, 
So it started promising for me because I had one bracket that on the first day I only got one game wrong. And I was like, good first day, you know, with this one specific bracket, I'm doing fine. And then it all went downhill so fast. Colorado hurt me, Illinois hurt me, UConn hurt me. I just, I bet on the wrong teams. It just wasn't my year this year. I mean, I had a pretty, <laughs> I don't think I've, I've, I've only been doing brackets for so long. I think the first time I did a bracket was like 2016 or 2017. So I'm not, I haven't, I don't think I've had this year where I'm like, oh yeah, this was a really good year for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I had higher expectations for myself. I think when I was at a Stars Mill, um, a couple people in this records class, you know, we all made brackets and, and put them up in there to see who had the best. And I think I had the best bracket that year. That was when Villanova won in 2018. And I remember looking at him, and I was like the only person with Villanova in the championship. Normally, I feel pretty good about my brackets. This year, horrible. Just absolutely terrible. And I couldn't even crack top 10 million. And it's kind of something you said. I think that when, with the situation where, you know, you were saying, like, the Blue Bloods aren't getting as much recruits as they used to be, I think it's going to be even harder to say that people are going to to get a good bracket than it was in years past. Completely. It's so much more unpredictable. So I guess that just makes March Madness even better. More madness, baby. And now let's wrap this up by previewing the Sweet 16 matchups. The Sweet 16 kick off, kicks off with a very unorthodox one. Oklahoma State, 12-seeded <laughs> or sorry, 12-seeded Oregon State versus 8-seed eight 8-seed eight Loyola Chicago and I was skeptical about Loyola Chicago making this far. Honestly, I didn't think they were going to make it past Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, I thought they had a lot of momentum. They had a lot of good pieces to use, but ultimately, Loyola Chicago is just was just way better of a team and it's as you've been saying throughout the show. They have the best defense in the entire country, and that's been on been on display, shutting down Georgia Tech and Illinois. Yeah, and I remember I mentioned it earlier. I was saying, you know, when is Oregon State's run going to end? It ends here. They struggled with the pressure when Oklahoma State started to amp up the pressure at the end of that game. They really struggled. They were turning the ball over a lot, and that was just in the last few minutes. Loyal Chicago was going to be, you know, all up in their business for all 40 minutes. And I really just, Porter Moser's a fantastic coach. And I, I mean, if you can go and beat Illinois and beat some of the teams they have in these past few years making a Final Four, I don't think Oregon State is a huge obstacle. I just think that defense is too much. I don't know if Oregon State has enough. Ethan Thompson is a fantastic shot maker, but I don't think they have enough outside of him to beat Loyola Chicago. I would expect them to win this game. I agree. I think Loyola Chicago ends up doing this. They have a lot more tools to work with. In a, in astounding defense. I think this is their game. I think this is theirs theirs for the taking. And then we go to fifth seed of Villanova versus top seed of Baylor. I mean, what can you say about Baylor? Uh, one of the greatest, one of the most powerful teams in the country. They've had a really dominating run so far. But, you know, Villanova could possibly provide some trouble for them. But I think if they played smart, they're going to end up taking this game by a good margin. Yeah. Villanova has some good pieces. They have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. They have Brian Antoine. But, I mean, with Colin Gillespie, if they even had Colin Gillespie healthy, it'd be really hard for me to pick Villanova here. And so without him, I don't really think they stand a chance. Uh, I think Villanova being the good school they are, having Jay Wright as a coach, I think they stay competitive, but I just don't think they have enough to really compete with Baylor for a full 40 minutes. And then we go to the Cinderella 15 seed Oral Roberts against 3 seed Arkansas. I think like Oregon State, their run ends here. Arkansas, a top t- a top 10 team in the nation. Uh, 
a lot, a lot of firepower on this team to work with. And they and they they've been playing a lot of competition, you know. They even if they lost against LSU, they have they have a lot of experience playing in those tougher games. So I think just in general, it's just they're just way stronger of a team than Oral Roberts is at this point. Yeah, and I think really throughout the end of the year, um, watching Arkansas and some of their bigger games, uh, they have Moses Moody, who's a you know great freshman player who averaged like 17 points per game, and really he hasn't had a ton of big games you know recently. Uh, but they've had they had the you know conference sixth man of the year. Um, they have you know JD Note. They have a just a bunch of good guys that have been kind of covering that slack or picking up that slack form. But I think this is the game where Moses Moody is going to remind everyone of who he is. I expect him to have a huge game against Oral Roberts. And as much as I want the Cinderella story to keep going, I think Arkansas wins this game probably pretty comfortably. And I think we're going to have a pretty interesting game after that. Uh, 11 seed Syracuse over the over second seed Houston is that you kind of you said it earlier. Syracuse to you isn't really an upset pick anymore. I think, and mm-hmm. and but you know at the same time, Houston has a really really good team. But I think with what we've seen in the tournament so far and how these teams are playing, I think we're poised for a really good game. Yeah, this is going to be a very close game. Two of the prettiest jumpers in the country with Quentin Grimes and Buddy Beheim. But uh, Syracuse, like I said, a lot of teams have got to this 2-3 defense, and they don't really know what to do. Syracuse is all over the passing lanes, and really they have a lot of lineups they can put out there, and they can put five shooters out there and really space you out. They have a great point guard who averaged 50 points per game his junior year of high school. He can shoot it from anywhere. He has limitless range. Uh, They can just space teams out on offense, and then they suffocate you on defense, and it's really hard to play against. So um, I know, I think, and yeah, every game I've talked about so far, I've picked the, the higher seed to win. I think the Q's keep going. I'm picking the orange here. Next up is fifth seed Creighton versus top seed Gonzaga. I'm gonna be honest. I'm skeptic about Gonzaga, and you you can put put my put those numbers in my face all you want. But my skeptic is that other than like Virginia and Iowa, they haven't really played a lot of competition, and they've won their games very very comfortably, and they have been sell. They have been seldom put into situations where they're actually in trouble and they need to end up climbing their way back. And I think Creighton is going to really give them their biggest run for their money of the of their season. Yeah, I mean, I Gonzaga to me is just, I mean, they're 28-0. They're in a class of their own. They're fantastic. And they haven't been tested recently, and I knew this was going to happen with you know the conference schedule that they play. So early on in the season, they played Kansas. One by twelve, you know they played a, a decent Auburn school, beat them by what is that uh, twenty three points. They played West Virginia, won that game by five. They played Iowa, beat them by eleven. Played Virginia, absolutely destroyed them. Um, and then BYU was a solid team, who's really I think half of their conference losses were just to Gonzaga. So throughout the regular season, they played some tough games, and the reason they haven't really played any close games in the tournament is because they're just that good. Oklahoma gave them problems for a little bit, but I saw them flip that switch, so I expect a very similar game. I think this game is going to start close, and then Creighton might even lead for a little bit, but at some point, Gonzaga is going to flip that switch, and I would not be surprised at all if they won this game by double digits. I have my doubts about Gonzaga, but honestly, we'll just have to see. They are, they are a really strong team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confident that they're going to have the first perfect season since the Hoosiers. I am so sure of it. And then we got Florida State versus 4th seed Florida State versus top seed Michigan. I was really curious about what was going to happen in Michigan, especially with one of the, their top players 
out due to a fracture, and I don't, and it's pretty likely that he's not gonna be coming back for this tournament. But as we saw in their second round game, it looks like that they that they've got a plan for that, and they're a team with. And Juwan Howard is a really good coach. He's been able to put this team together really well. You can we saw that in 2019 and in 20 and this year as well. So I think they have the they have the power to do what they want, and I think that one hole they have, I don't think it's bothering them as much as people thought it was going to be. Now, Florida State, on the other hand, I was saying, like, they're a really tough team, too, so I think it's going to be a very interesting game to watch. Yeah, I mean, I I really should probably stop sleeping on Michigan. I, like I said, they were the one seed I trusted the least. Obviously, that should have been Illinois, which surprised me, but um, I, I didn't believe in them, and then I watched them play LSU, and it made me a believer. I mean, even without Isaiah Livers, they look really, really good. And Florida State, you know, you never know what you're going to get from them. So I wouldn't be too shocked if they win this game, but I feel pretty confident in Michigan's ability. Hunter Dickinson's a great center, so I, I believe that he can lead them to a win here. So I, I think I'm finally picking Michigan, even though pretty much all my brackets I had them getting upset by this point. As the last Big Ten team in the entire, as the last Big Ten team in the tournament, I think there's no real cause. For cause for doubt for them anymore i think they have everything they need to end up make making the run they want to at this point and then the next game is going to be ucla 11 seed ucla versus second seed alabama this is gonna be a fun one you know you i don't i mean ucla has a lot of momentum but alabama i feel like they just have the I feel, think they just have the edge. It's kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Is that they have they have almost all the experience they need to beat any team they want to. They're one of the best teams in the country. Honestly, I was surprised that they they didn't get a top. They didn't get a number one seed. But you know they they've been put in situation after situation where you know I don't think anything Al UCLA can do is going to face them. Yeah, I mean this. This is really a toss-up. It's hard for me to pick here because Bama is very good. UCLA is also very good with a ton of momentum. I mean, this is going to come down. They each have a bunch of great players, and I think this is going to be a very, very close game, and it's going to come down in the last two or so minutes. Is it going to be, you know, Javon Quinterly and um, John Petty and some of those Alabama guys that are hitting huge shots, or is it going to be Johnny Juzang and those guys at UCLA? It's going to just... Who's going to step up when the lights get the brightest? That's what we're going to have to see. But this is I this this could be the game of the Sweet Sixteen, in my opinion. I think this is going to be an incredible, incredible game. And finally, we got of all for everything we've we've seen this tournament. I think this is kind of an oddball one: seven seed Oregon versus two seed or first six seed USC. You know, both are pretty both are pretty great teams. Both have pretty solid pieces, and I think this is really more of a toss up game. But I think. I think, considering at least what I know about all these teams, I think Oregon may have the edge here. Yeah, Oregon is a really good team. They have a bunch of good shot makers, but I I watched both of USC's games, and it's hard for me to pick against those Twin Towers that I keep talking about in the Mobley Brothers. Uh, Oregon is a team that really doesn't have a lot of size. Uh, they're a pretty small team. Uh, I think they run a lot of small ball, and I just don't think that's going to work against USC. I mean, those... Those brothers are so skilled that I just don't. I mean, Oregon. Oregon's a fantastic team. I I saw them early on this year. I mean, they lost to Mizzou, so that's obviously going to make me skeptical because we were terrible. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, these Big 12 schools have just been super impressive, so I expect this to be a really close game. Um, but they're, it's something that, uh, that Oregon lost 72-58 to at USC this year, and they're supposed to play USC at home, um, and it was postponed. And they, I don't, or I guess, yeah, that, that may have been the remix. They only played once this year. They weren't um, one of the teams in their schedule. They played twice. USC won that game comfortably, so there's always that revenge factor, but I can't pick against the Mobley Twins. We have a lot of good games lined up this mm-hmm. week, and it's going to just continue to lead eight, and I'm just so excited for what happens next. But, Riley, as we close this out, just kind of a fun topic. Who do you think is going to win, and who do you want to win? Ooh, who do I want to win? To be honest, that's something I haven't thought a lot about. Um, really, I think I think the answer to both of those is Gonzaga. Um they look phenomenal, and like I've said before, I think Baylor might be the only team that can really touch them. Uh, I think Mark Few is a fantastic coach. and um, So I, I, they're obviously the favorite pick to win this. I expect them to win this. I have confidence in them. But also, Mark Few's a guy where Gonzaga's always kind of had this draft that, you know, they play in this bad conference, they have a great record, they get a top three seed, and then they don't make it very far. They can't do it. They had the one year against North Carolina where they could have won a national championship. They didn't do it. They have this whole stigma that, you know, ah, oh, they'll get to the Sweet 16 and then lose. And I think that that program deserves so much more respect. And I think Mark Few is really building something. And so I would love for them to shut all of that up with a perfect season, the first one we've seen since, I believe, 79 when Indiana did it. So that's that's what I think is going to happen, and that really is what I want to happen. For me, I kind of feel like, I mean, who I think is going to happen, I think it's I'm kind of split between either, at this point, either Michigan or Alabama. Because I think both of those teams have been battle-tested, and they have a lot of talent on the roster. So they have a combination that, and I think with the experience factor of being in tough situations where they've had to climb out of, I think that they have that edge over Gonzaga, and I think that's what's going to end up giving them the the championship in the end. But for who I want to win, Loyola Chicago. It's just they had they had an elite. They had a Final Four run last year. They're one of the funner teams to watch, in my opinion. And it's just, I I don't know. I just want them to win. Yeah, it's, I mean, that would obviously be, if they were able to win a, I mean, imagine Loyola Chicago in the span of a few years making a Final Four and then winning a championship. That would be so fun to watch. And I really think they have a very good chance to find themselves in the Final Four again because if they win this game, they'll go into the Elite Eight of the winner of Syracuse and Houston. So I don't think they really have a juggernaut like Alabama, Michigan, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor, or even maybe Arkansas that they'd have to play in that. I think, you know, whoever they play could potentially um, be the worst team in the Elite Eight. So there's there's a, a good chance that they get to the um, Final Four. I'm just really hoping for a Loyola-Chicago-Syracuse matchup. I think that would be so fun to watch. That would... I don't think... It, it, it wouldn't be just a fun game. It would just be a funny game. Just that <laughs> low of seeds in the Elite Eight playing. I think that, honestly... I mean, let's not forget, they took down one of the... They took down one of the best teams in the country in Illinois. So, I think wanting them to win isn't that much of a stretch. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I would not be complaining if Loyola-Chicago walked out of this with a ring. I would not complain at all. And that does it for our coverage on the first on the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. These past four days have been exciting, and it's just going to continue building. So, with all this, how are you feeling about this tournament so far, as a it's whole? It's been fantastic. I, it's been it's been so great. And I just I mean I told you before we started this is like Christmas for me. This is my favorite time of the year. 
you know, uh, when when you guys reached out and wanted me to do this, I was so excited because I just love talking about this. So this tournament has a uh, well, Mizzou let me down, but I'm used to that. <laughs> I've you know had my whole life to get used to that. But just the tournament as a whole has not let me down at all. It's been so exciting, and just you know talking about it and looking at this slate of games and what we're gonna have for the rest of the tournament, I couldn't be more excited. Thank you so much, Riley, for joining us. We we were very happy to bring you on. Thank you guys for having me. I really miss everyone at the Prowler and, and Stars Mill and stuff. So I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me. And thank you guys for thank you guys for listening. This Saturday, the the action continues as Syracuse as as twelve seed Oregon State takes on Loyola Chicago, and then the next four games: Villanova versus Baylor, or Roberts versus Arkansas, and Syracuse versus Houston. Go on from there. On Sunday, Creighton versus Gonzaga leads off Sunday. Then Florida State versus Michigan, UCLA versus Alabama, and Oregon versus USC. So it's going to be a fun weekend of basketball. Then Monday to Tuesday, it leads into the Elite Eight with the Final Four next Saturday and the championship the Monday following. So it is going to be some. There's going to be some awesome basketball, and that's it from us. So from myself and Riley Stapleton, I'm Daniel Sackhouse. Thank you for listening. Go Panthers!